0: Have your Bible up this morning, please join me in the book of 1 John. We are going to be uh, taking our text this morning from the third chapter, beginning in verse 18. John is old when he wrote this. We know from John 21, breakfast on the beach, Jesus, uh, Peter asked about John, Hey, what about this guy? He's following. If I want him to remain alive until I come back, what's that to you? And so the tradition in the early church was that uh, if any of the apostles were going to live to see the second advent of Jesus, it would be John. And now we know that that didn't come true in the way that we normally think of it, but it did come true in that he received the book of Revelation. That he was in the spirit on the Lord's day and he saw what heaven was going to look like. And we have it recorded in the book of Revelation. Do know that he was the oldest living apostle. He was writing to his people, and they're on his heart. He wants to know that after he's gone, that they'll be okay. Uh, church tradition has that when John was not too infirm to walk anymore, that he would be carried to church services. And he kept saying the same thing over and over and over again. So much so that people were beginning to get irritated with him. Would you just die already? Because I don't want to hear the same sermon again. Which was love one another. Church tradition. (laughs) And so he writes. He he needs to know they're going to be okay after he's gone. So he warns them about false teaching. Here's what you need to know about false teachers. We've covered that text. He warns them about lovelessness. That can be evident in a church. And how we're supposed to have great love for each other. That if we claim to love God. Then certainly we ought to love the others. He warns him against lovelessness. And he knows that there is a third challenge facing his first century church. There's enemies from without. False teaching. There can be enemies and hatred from within. Please love each other. And he also knows that there is a battle going on in our minds and that our consciences can either be oversensitive or not sensitive enough. And he's going to teach them in just a few simple verses how to prepare Gets that danger as well. We know the danger of false teaching. We know the danger of not being in lo- acting loving towards each other and those outside the church as well. How do we deal with the danger that comes from within our own minds, our own consciences? Maybe they're working the way they're supposed to. Maybe they're not working at all. Maybe they're working too much. This is where the text is going this morning. We found out about a week and a left eye has numbers that mean nothing to us. We've never heard of this. He's essentially blind in his left eye. This had been neglected during his childhood, and now we're trying to fix it. So now he has these adorable glasses that give him superpowers, and that he can actually see a little bit now. And something magical is going to be happening to him on Christmas week is called crash therapy. It's when you cover up the good eye and force the brain to remember the bad eye. We're trying to rewire his brain neurologically. By covering up his good eye. He's not going to enjoy this at all because he will essentially be blind for about two hours at a time while we're trying to encourage his brain to remember his left eye. And so Trish has bought him some kinesthetic toys that will keep him relatively quiet so that he's not running on his little knobby legs all over the place careening into things. One of those kinesthetic toys is a bucket of from five below. Hayden knows where the bin is with his new kinesthetic toys. He broke into the play-doh with our permission and he asked about the slime one day this past week when Trish was working with another client after work after school. (laughs) I said sure, let's break out the slime, you know, and, and let's see how this goes. So he has a bin that's about the size of this little platform that all these kinesthetic toys stay in including the slime and so I put him on the wood floor in front of the wood stove sitting right next to a bin that's larger than he is it's about half the size of his bed the idea being that he can begin to play with this slime and you know we'll see how it goes over the next few weeks he'll be familiar with it perfect and and he's just wearing his glasses so now he can actually see what he's doing what a nightmare if you're gonna buy a it at some place other than five below. Spend more than five dollars on your slime. Because he plunged his tiny little hands deep into the bucket, made a little scoop, pulled out a slightly larger than a golf ball size of slime, and began to play. Everything's fine. He's doing a good job keeping it over the bucket. But I'm starting to get worried because this slime is immediately oozing right through his fingers. Like, there is no, there's way too much slime and not enough whatever is not supposed to be slime and slime. And, and it's just too runny. Something's wrong. And so it's running down his hands. It now looks like he has an X-Men glove on. He, like that blue lady. It looks like his hands are now perfectly covered in blue gloves. And then Taylor Swift comes into his mind and he's just got to shake it off. And it's like the saxophone. Bump, 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 bump. Bum. I'm on the other side of the living room saying, what is happening right now? Slime ended up on the new white couch that we bought because we knew we were going to be empty nesting. Slime. Carpet. Five feet away. Slime. Pants. Slime. Katie. Slime. And I'm like, okay, it's slime. I should Able to use the slime to clean the slime. Spend more than five dollars on the slime. That is not how this slime works. Pants are off in the washing machine, clothes are off, child's in the tub, rug cleaning, carpet cleaning, couch cleaning. I did not throw away the slime because the actual professional in the house thought that this was a good idea. Maybe we have to do something to the slime to make it better. Nightmare because now everything he touches is infected with his dirty little hands and he couldn't clean them himself, himself. there was nothing he could do to make it, just got worse the more he tried it's exactly how our consciences can work sometimes it just gets worse something happened and, 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 and we made a mess of things and we try to think our way through it we try to figure out our way through it and we just end up it infects the rest of our thinking so what was supposed to be, rel- the mess was supposed to be contained in our moral life is now infecting every relationship in our life. And we need a way to effectively clean our conscience the way that I then spent the next half hour cleaning our little guy in our house. Let's take a look at the text and see what John coaches his first century church. There's dangers from the outside, false teaching. There's dangers from within the church when we don't love each other. There's dangers from our own consciences when we don't know how to cleanse them. Here we go. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. Little children, dear ones, lovies, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. Here's how he opens up the conversation regarding our reminding us, he's going to go on and make the case that this is the way we cleanse our consciences. When we love sincerely with the truth. Basically what he's saying, and the clue to how to interpret this verse is right here in the first phrase. Little ones, my beloved ones, my lovies, my darlings. He's referring to them as small children. He's using the same kind of term that you would use with your children. He's giving them the key to a clear conscience, and he's saying, do not love with words, love with actual actions and he's reminding them love the way a child loves when your child opens up the gift on Wednesday morning and it's the gift that they've been waiting for it's the gift that they wrote the letters about it's the gift that they've been perseverating it's the gift that you've told them for the love of God stop talking about that gift when they open it on Wednesday morning they're not going to stand on the coffee table and orate dearest parents your filial affection is so evident at this moment in my young life. I'm struggling for words, but I'm not really. With expressing the true depth of my emotion and gratitude for this mind present. It can happen. That's not how your child is going to respond to receiving that gift. You're going to get a I'm going to kiss. There is going to be jumping. Inappropriate running through the house. That's what's going to happen because that's how children love. In truth and in action. Indeed. No pontificating. And this is what John is saying. Don't pontificate. Don't talk to us about what your faith means to, to you or to us. Don't, don't do that. It's not that those are bad things, but we're talking about cleansing our conscience. And our words fall short. In the same way that your children are going to their gratitude and truth on Wednesday morning and not their words, so are Christians to express their faith must be with, not with word or speech, but with truth and action. And he goes on to say, verse 19, this is how we will know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence. If your child stands on the coffee table and begins pontificating About how much they love the present, the one thing that you will know for a certainty is that they don't love the present. If they're playing with the present, you know they love the present. If they're hugging and kissing you, you know they love the present. If they're running around like a chucklehead, you know they love the present. But if they're standing there talking to you about the present, there's something wrong. Your kid doesn't love the present. Right? The more we clear on this. What do no Chapter and verse. The moment we start thinking about our conscience, it's not clear. Our conscience runs in the background. Our conscience doesn't talk to us when we're doing the right things. It only talks to us when we're doing the wrong things and it starts to bother us and so we try to talk ourselves out of taking uh, a, an action in a loving direction and so we say my conscience is clear. They start That's actual proof, since we're talking about it, that it's not clear. That's bothering us. We don't talk about clean consciences. We just don't. We don't need to, because it's evident by our actions. This is how we will know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence. Even if our conscience condemns us, that God is far greater than our conscience, that he knows all things. We are not slaves to there are times some of us have overactive consciences, uh, where where they're working overtime, and it's because we have such a sensitive heart towards the Lord, and we spent too much time not pleasing the Lord that we don't want to waste another second. And so we're reflecting what we what we considered normal, we now realize was not normal, was evil, was average. And so the new normal for us takes a little while to get used to. So we're we're overthinking. that's not the direction either because what the text says is that we are not slaves to what we think is right we are obedient to what god says is right and so even if we're doing the right things and our conscience is still condemning us at the end of the day we evaluate our loving actions by what god considers right and normal when we lived in south florida It just struck our consciences, and we started down a typical path. Our conscience is clear. And and the trigger that made our consciences just start chirping at us was the inescapable Florida panhandler. I don't know how much traveling you've done in Florida. I don't know if you've lived in Florida. We lived in West Palm Beach for four years, and it's a mecca. It's a hub for those who are homeless. And uh, there's a lot of traffic in West Palm Beach, and so we're in traffic a lot. And it was inevitable. Please don't let me be the first car in line. Please don't let me be the first car in line. I know I have to make a left turn, but why do I have to be judged by God right now by being the first car in line? Like every left-hand turn lane, there was a Florida Panhandle. And so we walked down the road of, go right down the list. Not my problem. My conscience. is clear, right? This is what happens. Because every left-hand turn, you're you're confronted with this. And it was relentless. Finally, we we decided just for the sake of our consciences that we had to take action. We had to do something. Uh, It it was just, what are we going to do? So, we I think we took a grand sum of $20 and we went to McDonald's bought uh, a booklet of coupons at the time. $5 coupons. We took a $5 coupon, put it in a small envelope with a a New Testament Um, Bible. I think we got those for free somewhere. And so, and we kept, you know, half a dozen of these things, five of them, whatever it was, 20 bucks worth basically, in the glove box. And we're like, we don't know what to do, but this is better than nothing because nothing is not working. Our conscience just won't leave us alone. and so every time we came up and we had an opportunity, and there's the guy, we'd reach in the glove box, hand him. He didn't know what it was. It was just a manila envelope, five dollar gift certificate to McDonald's, and a New Testament. And some of them were grateful, you know, because they'd open it right there. And if the light didn't change, you know, you were there for the whole thing. Some of them. So we started doing that, but still our conscience was too sensitive in this area. Like we were, we still didn't have the peace that we thought we should have, because that's what this battle is about. John is saying, when it comes to your consciences, I want you to have peace. We're going to find out why here in a second. Still didn't have the peace that we thought we would have, and so we would talk to a couple of friends and just say, "Hey, this is kind of what we've done," and as we talked. They were like, that is the cleverest thing we've ever heard in our entire life. Totally doing that. And a small group of us began doing that, and what happened for Trish and I was, "Oh, huh. uh, we feel pretty good about this. Like, our hands are clean. Our conscience, we, we then got the peace that we were looking for, because it was confirmed by other people that, hey, that's actually pretty clever, so let's do that. And so our consciences were a little too active We put them before the judgment of our friends, and our friends said, wow, that's actually pretty clever, and then we had the peace that we were looking for. That's what this passage is saying right here. That's what this verse is saying. Even if our conscience condemns us, that God is greater than our conscience, and he knows all things. In matters where we have taken loving action and our conscience is still not clean, we don't have. we are appealing to a standard that we didn't make up. We are appealing to a standard that we didn't write. We are appealing to a standard that is holy and divine and comparing ourselves to it rather than just the sense of peace that we're trying to develop in our own mind about these matters. John continues, Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, if we have clean consciences, we have confidence before God and Because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. And so we see that a clean conscience comes from loving like a child, not with word or speech, but rather with truth and action. And that when we take that loving, truthful action, our consciences will not condemn us. If for some reason they still do, we then use the super scrub of accountability. We get a little help. John wants his people, his little ones, his lovies, his darlings, to have clear consciences. Why? So that their prayer life is powerful. So that their prayer life is pleasing. So that their prayer life is rewarding. Because whether it's false teaching, an unloving church, or a conscience that won't clear itself, prayer fixes all of that, right? And so John wants to remove all barriers to them being able to pray and hear from the Lord for themselves. Because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. So the question is, is my conscience, regarding this matter, the area where we like to tell ourselves my conscience is clear, <laughs> that's actually a joke, that's actually ourselves lying to ourselves, that's actually your child using his words to say how grateful he is for a present that he should be dancing with. In that area, how do we know if our conscience under uh, sensitive or over sensitive well it depends on how satisfied we are with our prayer do we feel that when we are praying that we are hearing from the Lord if our prayer life is satisfying then there's a good chance we're right where we need to be and we just need to open ourselves up with a little accountability and our friends can encourage us that no you're actually doing right by the panhandlers like you can actually let this go That's so clever, I'm actually going to take a step in that direction myself. Conscience, clear. Or, if our prayer life is not satisfying, or if we're not praying at all, then our conscience is probably not active enough. It is underactive. And so John says, if you want to know if your conscience is ticking the way it should, you should be keeping his commands and doing what is pleasing in his sight, and your prayer life will be satisfying. And so now the follow-up question through this text in verse 23 is, well, what are his commands? Now, this is his command, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And then this fascinating statement, with which we'll conclude our time together this morning. And the way we know... Basically, when we ask ourselves, are we doing the things that should lead to a clean conscience? What are the loving actions? What are the truthful loving actions that we should be doing that will lead to an effective prayer life and a clear conscience? John says this is the command, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. He's basically saying, don't over." Like, don't make this too difficult on yourself. It's really quite simple. As you think about it, it's probably things that you're already doing or taking steps towards anyways. Are we doing the things that lead to a conscience that is actually helpful? That is driving us towards the Lord and not away. Uh, and, And are we sensing the peace as his children that we should be experiencing by, more often than not, having clear consciences? He says, here's the things that you need to do. Believe in Jesus love one another. That's the command. So don't overthink this. Don't make this too difficult. Uh, don't make it too hard. This is how we restore the childlike response towards our consciences in our life. And then he says that's proof. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. The ultimate proof is what Comes through the Holy Spirit, or are we not? This is what he says. The metric is the ultimate metric. He's walked us through this process. Is whether or not we sense the presence Spirit in our life. When we think about the Holy Spirit and we ask ourselves the questions, the question rather is the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's something that you feel or experience personally as we're being led in worship. Maybe it's a response that you have in your own mind, in your own heart, and in your own soul with the reading of the word accompanied by music. Maybe it's during our corporate prayer time. These are all examples of, is the Holy Spirit presence something that I experience personally? Is that the proof that I'm looking for? Some of us might be like, "Mm, let me continue. Is the proof of the Holy Spirit's presence in our life a public thing? An obvious thing? Something that is observable, like the rising and the setting of the sun? That may make us feel a certain way or not feel a certain way. Is the proof of the Holy Spirit something that is more publicly determinable? For instance, the big days. Your wedding day. When you made a vow in the eyes of God and man, is that proof positive of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? The fact that you serve in ministry, you're on a schedule, right? Doesn't get much more data-driven than that. You get an email reminding you of your service time. Is that proof positive of the Holy Spirit in your life? When you dedicate a child and stand up before the church and say the thing, regardless of what you're feeling in that moment, is it proof positive of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life? When you discipline yourself to study god's word regardless of how you feel is that proof positive the holy spirit's presence in your life is the proof that the holy spirit is active and present in your life because john says this is important and the way we know that he god remains in us is from the spirit he has given us is it something public observable data-driven privately obedient. Excuse me. These are things that when we think about these times, our conscience begins to clear itself in the presence of God. Is there an inner silent witness to how the Holy Spirit works in our lives that only we are aware of? Absolutely. Are there times where it is public steps of obedience that sometimes don't feel very Holy Spirit It is both. Because when we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the biggest picture that we see in the New Testament is that it's like a seed that is tiny and grows into something large. It's like a seed that is tiny, that is covered in the dirt, that is alone and is by itself and isolated and actually dies. That then grows to be the largest tree that is in the garden. So much so that it provides for the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is personal and private and public and pronounced. It's both. It begins wobbling. faith, both privately and publicly. I told you guys in September, when we started talking about honoring the Lord's portion, that decisions of faith were going to be made in September and in October. Private, personal, family decisions of faith that were going to lead to people beginning I've mentioned a few times now that we have seen the church's giving grow as these personal decisions of faith were made. So much so that from September 1st until today our giving has grown 50%. Each week a private decision was made in September and October. Now it's a matter of an Excel spreadsheet. Print it out look at it. It happened. Decisions of faith, private, inner determinations. The Holy Spirit is talking to me about this through the preaching of his word. I am going to make a decision of faith. I am going to respond. It has now become a matter of public bank statements. It started out wobbly. I don't have the money to make a decision of faith like that. Now it's wonderful. 50% increase in our tithes and offerings. This has been huge me and the elders because we're trying to decide are we able to build in june are we being foolish because we don't have enough money but there's more money we can't do nothing we have too much god is doing too much nothing is foolish but are we being faithful we don't have enough to see to the end financially our giving increased 50 percent each week from the time this church me the question what is the amount of money that River Church receives in one year in 2019 ask me $200,000 this year ask me the percent of the donation that we received 50% perfectly the decisions of faith you guys started making in September starts out wobbly becomes wonderful starts out private matters where it sells spreadsheets. I'm depositing the check tomorrow. Our giving increased 50%. We just received a check for 50% of our annual budget. Is God doing something? That just moved us. Now, I was worried about being foolish if we started next summer. Now, it's evident to me and the elders that we would be clear in this matter. I slept like a baby the past two nights. (laughs) I did not wake up once worrying about foolishness or faithfulness. John wants his readers to have a clear conscience so that they can experience the inner confirmation of the peace that comes with making a decision of faith. It is reflected in the Christmas story. This we will conclude our time together this morning. Luke records in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord." was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, what was the message of the sermon that was preached to the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest, When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned. Glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard just as they have been told. My little ones. My darlings. It's a message of peace. He's equipped them for attacks from outside the church. He's warned them about unloving attitudes within the church. And now he says, I want your minds to be at peace. I want your consciences to be clear. I want you to know how to respond how it actually happens. This is how you know that your conscience is clear, and it's a Christmas message. It's the message that the angels shared with the shepherds, that his grateful for presents that are just going to be old this time next year. I want a present that gets newer every year I receive it. I turn from what I know is sinful and displeasing in my life because it displeases me and I know it displeases you and I've set by faith just like the shepherds did. I have to come and see what you're doing. Your son Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. May I also For some of us, it's been wonderful for a long time now. But we need to renew that sense of wonder. Hopefully, this morning's text: How do I recalibrate my conscience with the encouragement to those of us who made decisions of faith a long time ago? Would you join me as I pray as we wrap up our time together this morning? Heavenly Father. concerns about my faith and false teaching, no concerns about relationships that have gone sideways that are supposed to be loving, no nagging doubts in the middle of the night. Nothing wakes me up. But I sleep through the night because my conscience is clear. I know it's clear because I'm not even thinking about it anymore. I'm definitely not talking about it. I'm just acting in a loving way. Heavenly Father, that would be an amazing Christmas gift. We're so grateful for of that and how it is to be obtained. Father, I pray that moving forward, this church would be encouraged in their own existing obedience, what started out